Boy, it is so good to be with you this morning, and uh, we're continuing in our series, Faith That Works, where we're going through the New Testament letter of James, and if you missed a week, I would just challenge you, you know, to go to our website, you can, you can listen, you can watch, but man, it seems like each and every week, these have just been really big, you know, uh, really spoke to, to a lot of us, and uh, James is really a book where you can take uh, the principles of God and break them down very, very practically. And so I think each week we've been able, able to do that. Like, you know, there's not a week where you can say, well, this really doesn't apply to me or, or not like that. Every week, you know, these principles have been able to, no matter who you are, they've been able to apply to you. Now, today is one of those, one of those sermons, too, one of those teachings, because we're going to be talking about choices. And all of us make choices, and really, you could say that faith, is a result of your choices, right? Uh, researchers from Columbia University found that on average, we make about 70 important decisions every day. And we make a lot more unconscious decisions, but about 70, you know, important decisions. So look, in a year, 25,000 choices, uh, 25,000 decisions over 70 years. So over the lifespan of the average individual, that's almost 2 million decisions. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? And we make so many decisions because there's so many choices out there for us. Now, uh, many of you will go out to eat after the service and things like that, and you know you get one of these, one of these things. This is from a local Mexican restaurant, and this is the condensed version, okay? Uh, so, but, you know, uh, okay, do I go with a burrito side or enchilada? Uh, maybe fajitas, all right, so I'm feeling fajita today. Uh, sandwiches, burgers, salads, uh, ribeye steak, and I, look, I speak a little bit of uh, um, Mexican, right? Uh, <laughs> so... Look, they always crack up at me when I go in there and I order, right? And I speak Spanish and a uh, little bit. They laugh at me a little bit. But no, so, I mean, some of you, you get this and you're like, you know exactly what you want. Others of you, you know, you, you have no idea. Here's another one from a, from a local place. So, okay. Um, literally around 200 choices on the front. All right, and... and 57 on the back. So like I said, some of you have no problem with this. Some of you, you know exactly what you want within 30 seconds. And some of you, you know, 30 minutes later, you're, you're still stuck. You know, and, and this frightens you, some of you. Because the, you're forced to make a choice and you can't. I know who you are, right? <laughs> um, let me ask you this. What if it were simpler? What if it were simpler? Let's look at this picture here. Okay, so I don't know if for those of you that are in the back, look at this. So on the left, a juicy bacon deluxe burger with look, looks like a, maybe some hickory bacon on there and some uh, American cheese. So that looks really good. On the left, uh, I mean on the right, uh, that is dog food. Man, wouldn't it be great if you walked into a place like that and you just, that's what they had and your decision would be so much easier, hopefully, right? Um, the truth is, look, 
as Christians, uh, our choices really are that simple. Our choices are that simple, but many times we make it way too complicated, okay? And we choose the wrong things, and believe it or not, sometimes we even choose to eat the dog food, right? We, we choose what's not good for us, and we don't even realize it. Now, today we're going to be looking at some very important choices that we are faced with each and every day. And basically enough, basically enough, simply enough, you can choose one way or the other. That's it. This way or, or that way. And our scripture reference, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open those up. Our scripture reference is James chapter 3. We're going to be beginning in verse 13. Now, the first choice, all of these are big, okay? The first one is, do I choose worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Right. Which one of those do I choose? Now, we ended in this section of Scripture last week, but as we move into chapter 4, it really is a continuation of chapter 3, right? It's not a break. It just makes it easier for us to read and maybe memorize, but it's a continuation from the previous chapter, so we need to pick back up there. James says in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So just like faith is demonstrated, you know, we talked about that. Your faith needs to be shown, uh, so wisdom needs to be shown too. Right? It's not enough just to say, I'm wise. Or I, I have wisdom. Now, wisdom is displayed through our actions, and a wise person lives a good life that comes through being humble. As Christians, our lives are to be signified by humble actions. And those actions are to continuously be influenced by wisdom. So what wisdom does is wisdom leads to action. All right, so you, you're going to use wisdom from somewhere, and that wisdom is going to compel you to act upon it. Now, here's the question. Where do you get wisdom? All right. What is the source of your wisdom? Now, look, we have to be really careful where we get wisdom from. Now, the world tells us to think of ourselves the most. Have you, you've heard of an IOU, right? Well, the world teaches us to think you owe me. It is completely, completely opposite. Embedded within us are these cravings to fulfill these uh, selfish desires. And what wisdom from the world does is it just continually feeds those cravings. It's, it's the wrong source of wisdom. And it can have a very negative impact, not only on our faith, but on our life. Now let's look at what James says about it, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, I like this, quote-unquote wisdom. It's not really wisdom, but James is kind of being sarcastic a little bit. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So there's some ways that you can characterize wisdom from this world, and it's not good. Uh, worldly wisdom is characterized by envy, by selfishness, and it leads to conflict. It leads to disorder. And James even says it's unspiritual, which is the opposite of what? Spiritual. There you go. Uh, wisdom from the world is contrary 
to what God wants for us in order for us to grow in our faith. In other words, you cannot make spiritual progress if you are constantly listening to the wisdom of the world. You can't do it. You cannot grow in your faith if your source of of wisdom comes from this world. As a matter of fact, there's a good chance that your faith could be wrecked completely. So many times we make the choice to listen to worldly wisdom. And, And while we may not realize it initially, choosing to do that is harmful for us and it's detrimental to our faith. Let's look at the the other option. So you have worldly wisdom, and let's look at the other option, godly wisdom. And I just want you to listen to the difference here. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That's so different, isn't it? That's so opposite. But really what God tells us is completely opposite of what the world tells us. It is considerate rather than selfish. It's peace-loving rather than hostile. It's full of good fruit instead of full of conflict. Look, godly wisdom is best for our faith in our lives. And I've got a 15-year-old son named Gideon, and I can remember growing up, well, him uh, growing up, you know, started getting involved in sports and things like that. And so naturally, as a father that was involved in sports, you know, you try to teach him lessons along the way. And, you know, I, I, he didn't receive that very well, you know, because why? I wasn't coach. You're not my coach. What do you know? Well, Gideon, actually, I know a little bit. You know, I played and, you know, was halfway decent. And so I know some things. And look, I see some things that you're doing that need some correction and And look, it's for your benefit. It's so that you can get better. I was trying to help him. I was trying to tell him what was best for him. And that really is what wisdom from God is like. It's meant for our good. Instead of causing conflict and disorder, godly wisdom produces peace and look leads to a harvest, a bountiful harvest of righteousness. So look, we have a choice to make. Each one of us have a choice to make. Am I going to get my wisdom from God or from the world? Now, if you choose God, you know, we need to be in his word. We need to be in the Bible. That is where wisdom is found, not on Facebook, but in his book, right? Um, 31 chapters in Proverbs, one for every day of the month. Five chapters in James, one for every uh, weekday during the week. So much wisdom in in the Bible. Uh, So we should be reading God's Word and spending time in prayer if we want to receive wisdom from God. So the next major choice that we're faced with is this. Do I choose relationship with the world or relationship with God? Wow, that's a big choice. And look, I know this is hard for every one of us. Every single person in here. There are things in this world that bring us pleasure. There are things in this world that make us happy, right? But here's the thing. Sometimes we like it too much. Sometimes we place it as more valuable 
than God. And when we do that, we are tempted to ignore what God wants for us. And we fall into traps and and snares of this world. And if we're not careful, we can become completely consumed by this world and entirely focused on ourselves, right? So much so that that it causes conflict. It leads to conflict. And it causes us to turn on one another. Even those that we love. Those that we care about most. And this this was the case when James was writing this. Brothers and sisters, Christians, believers in the Lord, conflict among them. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Look, so, so they were fighting. Uh, They were arguing. A church in distress, a church that had been displaced, a church facing lots of challenges and difficulties, began to turn on one another. They were arguing. They were fighting over what? Things of this world. Not things of God. Things of this world. Selfish desire was the problem. Remember uh, the sermon from a few weeks ago. Temptations always begin with what? With desire. And their desires, it says, they were battling within them. They were raging within them, and and they didn't cut it off. They didn't deal with that properly, the right way, and it led to sin. Now look, we do this too. We do this too. Maybe not to this this extreme, um, because we live in a different time and culture, but, but the point is, look, we get what we want. Think about it. We get what we want. The world teaches us, if you want it, well, go get it. Right? Uh, Look at this scenario. I I want this. I want something. I don't have this. Oh, but somebody else does. Right? And and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in this world that we end up wanting it more than God. And we end up focusing on the world, and what we do when we focus on the world is we forget about God. James goes on to say this at the uh, end of verse 2, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Look, he says simply, you either don't pray or, or when you do pray, you ask with the wrong motives. Right? Instead of seeking to please God, they were seeking to please themselves. Instead of saying, God, may your will be done, they were saying, God, make my will be done. You see how opposite that is? You see how that sort of rubs you the wrong way, just me explaining that to you. But we, we live like that every day. They were so connected to this world that their hearts, their hearts became poisoned. Their hearts became hard. Their relationship with the world became more important than their relationship with God. And look at verse 4. James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who, what's that word? Chooses 
to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, James used some strong language here, didn't he? I mean, he got my attention here. And, and the idea is, is that our relationship with God is supposed to be so strong and so intimate that it resembles a marriage. A marriage. And that's a heavy theme in the Old Testament. Uh, our relationship with, with God, with the Lord, is seem, seemed to be uh, a, like a marriage. And so James uses this word, adulterous. Right? Adulterous. What is adultery? It's cheating on your spouse. Right? It's going outside of the bounds of, of marriage and cheating on your spouse. Look, the more we are conformed to the pattern of this world, living the, uh, the world and loving the world, the more we betray our relationship with God and the more we, we cheat on Him. I don't know if you've ever viewed your relationship with God that way, but I just got to tell you, from heaven down, that's the way he views it. You know, uh, all of us know, maybe you know firsthand how that feels. To have, have that broken. That bond broken. You know, it, it breaks hearts. It affects families. When we, when we cheat on God, that's a, that breaks his heart. That makes him sad. He doesn't just say, well, I don't care about that. That doesn't bother me one bit. It does. It affects God tremendously. Look at verse 5. Do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You know, the Scriptures teaches us that God is a jealous God. He wants... Our devotion, like a loving spouse. He wants our commitment. He wants our attention. And look, 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 he wants our love. Instead of being consumed by the world, God wants us to be consumed with him. Right? And listen, time after time after time, we continue to be unfaithful to God. Now think about it. If this was a real physical marriage, nobody in their right mind would stay in it. Right? But that's not our God. Verse 6 says this, but He gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And look, even though we continually fail God, the truth is He never fails us. He is committed to us all the way. He is loving to us all the way. He gives us more grace. And when we, when we humble ourselves and we turn to Him, He will never, ever turn us away. Instead of choosing to have a relationship with the world, we need to choose to strengthen, to work on our relationship within our marriage, within our relationship to God, and be faithful to Him. Look at what verse 7 says. Submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Instead of running to friendship with this world, which I know many times is what we do, we need to run to friendship with God. Instead of resisting God, which I know many times we do, we need to resist the enemy. Instead of allowing ourselves to be conformed to this world, we need to give our world over to God. Look, the enemy wants anything 
and everything to keep you away from your relationship with God. And the enemy will use this world to almost hypnotize you into loving it more than God. And that is a dangerous condition to be in, folks. Because we just read previously that friendship with the world is enmity to God. We don't need to be there as children of God. So James says this, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Whoa, James, hold on just a second. He is fired up, isn't he? I mean, uh, but he is speaking some truth. I know this sounds harsh and intense from James, but look, the point to us is many times we get things mixed up. We think it's okay or what's the big deal or I can have the best of God and I can have the best of the world. I can have both and everything's okay. We, we become double-minded with half of us here in this world and half of us over here with God and we think that's fine. The problem is we think that's not a problem. But remember, God is jealous, and so he sees that as a very big problem. There's no such thing as cheating just a little bit. You, you either cheat or you don't, right? We know that. The truth is, what James is getting at is we need a change of heart. Instead of thinking that, oh, that's not a big deal, we need to realize how much it hurts God. So we need to change the way we think and we need to humble ourselves and recommit ourselves to our relationship with Him. Marriages do that all the time. You know, it takes a lot to say, I messed up. It takes a lot to say, I'm broken. It takes a lot for us to say, look, God, I failed you. I'm sorry. But look, the Scripture says when we come near to God... He comes near to us. Uh, this makes me think of the prodigal son. We all know that story. You know, where the, the, the son chooses to leave the father. He's within the family, and he wants his inheritance early. And he leaves, and he goes and, and spends all of it. And look, he's, he's humbled. He's, he, he's poor. He's broken. He ends up living and eating with the pigs. And he just he decides. He makes the choice to return to the father. And... Really, this is the good father story and not the prodigal son story. Because the father doesn't just sit in the house and wait. He runs out halfway with open arms to meet and, and greet and love and hug the son and welcome him home, no questions asked. Give him, gives him the family robe and the signet ring saying that you are accepted into the family. When we humble ourselves and we run back to God, He, not we, He lifts us up. Our relationship with God should be way more important and valuable than our relationship with the world, okay? The last major choice we're going to talk about this morning is do I choose to be God or do I choose to be God-like? I know that's a big statement. You'll get the idea. You'll get the idea momentarily, okay? Verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. 
When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And this sort of goes along with what we talked about last week and how we speak to others, right, and how we, how we treat others. And remember from a few weeks ago, James talked about this idea of a royal law, the supreme law, and it's the law of love. And it's the law that all the other laws and commands uh, in the Bible flow from, and it's simply this, love God and love others. Right, that's the supreme law. That's the royal law. And uh, ironically enough, you know, I know we most of us have been paying attention to the Supreme Court stuff going on, you know, and have been for a couple weeks. But look, have you you just realized the drama in that? You realize the hatred in that? You know, I know I came home and and my wife was tore up. She just watched a little bit of it and she was almost in tears over the bitterness and the hatred on both sides and the families that are hurt so much animosity and looks really so many times we argue fuss and fight over every little thing when we mistreat others in any any form or fashion not only do we speak against the law but we actually break it We actually break that law. What James is saying here is when we do this, we actually place ourselves above the law. And we act as if it doesn't apply. And it's almost as if we think we are in charge. Verse 12. So he says this to remind us. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Wow, what a sobering question. Uh, Noah has had this uh, attitude for, it seems like a few years now, where he just looks at me and says, you're not the boss of me. Ooh. Man, what do you do with that? You say, yes, I am. And then you show them that you're the boss. <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you don't just get into an argument with your four-year-old, guys. You show them. But look, many times that's exactly what we do. We try to be in charge. We look at God and say, you're not the boss of me. Look, I just got to tell you, if you read the Bible, that does, never works out good. You know, in the New Testament, you've got King Herod who, who said, I am God, and was struck dead immediately and was eaten by worms. That did not work out well for him. <laughs> and then you've got King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament that did the same thing, said, I am God. Well, he wasn't killed. He was turned into an animal, and God made him eat grass. Look, I'm just saying is, that never, ever works out well. God will not share his glory. We can choose to be God, or we can choose to be God-like. We can choose to fight, or we can choose to forgive. We can choose to lash out, or we can choose to love. We can choose to judge others, or we can say, God, I'll let you do the judging. 
You might say, look, I can't control myself. I know myself. Look, there's no way I could do this. I lash out. I can't control what I say. I can't control my actions. I'm really struggling. I don't think I'll ever be able to do this. Well, look, yes, you can. And if you're a Christian, at least you have an obligation to try. Let me just ask you this. First of all, listen, where's your wisdom coming from? Secondly, who's your relationship with? You see, you get those first two things right, this will take care of itself. Look, we all have a choice to make, and, and, it's, and it's pretty simple. And I'm not saying that your problems are simple. I'm not saying that at all. Or your circumstances are basic. But the, the most important choice we have to make is as basic as they come. Look, I know, we, I know we face a lot of choices each and every day, every day, but realistically, there are only a few main choices that influence all the rest of our choices. Do I get wisdom from the world, or do I get wisdom from God? Do I connect my life to the world, or do I anchor my life in God? Do I do what the world says and try to be God, or do I submit to Him, allow Him to be God, and try to be more God-like in how I live, right? It boils down to this. Do I choose God or do I choose the world? Now, I remember Old Testament story, Joshua, you know, as they made their way into the promised land, uh, Joshua charged the people with choosing who they would serve. He said, I can't make up your mind for you, but look, look, I can make up my mind. And as far as me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to choose to serve the Lord. So every day, look, we have to say, this day, Lord, this day, I choose to serve you. This day, God, my life is yours. You know what real faith is? Choosing God one day at a time. Real faith is choosing God one day at a time. Now, some of you say, well, what about tomorrow? I don't trust myself. I'm not that strong. I don't know about tomorrow or next week. I've done this before. I've started strong, and I just fail time and time again. Look, choosing God one day at a time is the best way to do it. The best preparation for tomorrow is to take care of today. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, when? Daily. And follow me. Look, every single day we have a very important choice to make. This day, today, right now, my prayer, my prayer is that we make the right choice to give our lives to God Because Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the lessons you've taught us. uh, For the truth that you've revealed to us. And Lord, I just honestly think it's what we need to hear. Based off the fact that we make so many choices in a day and so many choices in a lifetime. Father, it's very important that we learn how our choices affect our relationship with you, how our choices affect our lives here in this world. Ultimately, 
even though we complicate things, there's really only a couple of choices that we need to make. Father, give us the wisdom and the courage to choose you each and every time. And Father, I know that many times we will fail. I know that many times we will fall. I know that many times we will run away. But what we've learned today is that you are there to welcome us back. And Father, to lift us up. And we're so thankful for that. Father, help us to continue to grow in our faith. And help us to understand that our faith is strengthened when we choose you one day at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.